0: On today's episode, I sat down with Ashley Budd of Cornell University. Ashley is an ever true 40 under 40 winner and one of the true pioneers in higher ed digital marketing. Ashley works remotely for Cornell as the director of digital marketing, alumni affairs and development. She and her team are hyper focused on personalization and they are constantly testing and improving new ways to engage and convert more alumni into donors we will discuss some of their most recent strategies and tactics, including how they embraced a one-to-one texting campaign to engage the newly graduated class of 2019. Here we go. Greetings, Ray's listeners. Welcome to today's show. I am thrilled to be hosting Ashley Budd, who is the Director of Digital Marketing in the Alumni Affairs and Development Group at Cornell University. Welcome to the show, Ashley.
1: Thank you, Brent. So good to chat we, with you.
0: Well, we've been, we've been looking forward to this for a while. And just coincidentally, this week, we had a really fun exchange on LinkedIn that emerged uh, from something I read in your newsletter. And I will make sure to link to your newsletter uh, in the show notes. Anybody that's interested in digital marketing, higher ed, advancement should subscribe. But in it, uh, we... Uh, I read this week that you and the Cornell team were doing some really interesting things around young alumni engagement leveraging SMS. And so uh, there was was a major exchange on LinkedIn around that. We will share uh, a link to that discussion as well. We'll get into that in a little bit. But I wanted to start by just um, asking you to share a little bit about your background. Most of us uh, have had circuitous paths into the advancement world. Uh, and so I'm curious when you, uh, you when you first heard the term advancement, when you thought about higher ed as a career path, but maybe even before that, uh, where'd you grow up, and uh, and could you have ever guessed that you'd be doing what you're doing?
1: Uh, definitely not. Um, I grew up where I am right now in Saratoga Springs, New York. I work remotely for Cornell, which is super cool. Uh, I've been doing that for about five years, and it suits me. Um, so. Yeah, Saratoga, born and raised, horse racing, um, concerts, Adirondacks, all of that good stuff. And so the
0: rumors are true about Saratoga, basically.
1: Saratoga is, I mean, it's it's blessed. Okay. Really. Um, ironically, on my way to Disney World this weekend, staying at the Saratoga Resort on property. Um, so You're all
0: in on Saratoga.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was um, by chance, but. Uh, Yeah, so I left Saratoga for about 10 years and went to college in Rochester at RIT. I went there for probably the least technical degree they have. Uh, I was a painting and uh, printmaking major in their art school, and I worked in the admissions office. That was my student. I love that
0: description, the least technical degree at the Rochester Institute of Technology. Uh, So are you an artist still?
1: Uh, You know, I can, I can do some me arts and crafts. Definitely. Um, You need someone with nice handwriting. That's me. Excellent. Um, But yeah, I'm keeping that in my back pocket for retirement. I'll be the lady in the park with her easel.
0: Sounds delightful. I'm very jealous of that person. always staring over their shoulders. So, Uh, so you worked in the admissions office while you were a student. Is that right?
1: Um, I was a tour guide. And then um, they took me off tours because I, I don't know. I think I got upset with the university over something and they took me off tours, but they put me at the front desk. (laughs) So um, so I stopped doing tours, but I was at the front desk. Is that a nice
0: way of saying you got fired as a tour guide?
1: Um, No, I think I complained about the tours. I didn't want to do them anymore. And I was having a bad day and they said, okay, well, we'll just put you at the front desk so some early uh,
0: millennial entitlement uh mm -hmm. uh,
1: yeah yeah Yeah, and i actually have a screenshot um that i saved from so facebook had just started really Uh when i was in school um i started my undergrad in 2003 so my freshman year i got access to facebook and i have a screenshot (laughs) um and maybe I'll share it for your show notes. It says, trying to spend my entire admission shift on Facebook. I was sitting at the front desk at the reception office, and I had a little goal that I'm just gonna sit here and be on Facebook all day. Um so that was that was it's my
0: screening really uh, to prepare you for your career path.
1: That was like major that was major foreshadowing. Yeah. for sure. So I graduate with my painting degree and uh, some hefty private school debt and didn't want to do the starving artist thing and asked the director of admissions for a job so he helped me find a graduate degree program in communications and media technology and um, found there was a maternity leave that i could take Um, so uh, like a year or so later i was hired full-time in admissions spent my first six years in higher ed in that admissions office
0: my alma mater wow and so you went from art to the enrollment funnel Yes. And what was, you know, I, I love um, meeting with folks who work in the enrollment space, because I think one of the real nuances is that uh, your persona is so defined there, right? It's basically uh, people of a certain age, you know, it's called 16, 17, 18, and their parents, and that's yeah, it. Yeah. Whereas on the alumni side of the house, we have to deal with people who are uh, uh, old and young, uh, really wealthy and less wealthy, Globally and domestic in our backyard and 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 so it can be really hard just from a core You know who is our persona when you work in alumni development? Well, it's everyone is our persona based on where you work Whereas it's so targeted I feel like that's been a bit of a catalyst for enrollment to innovate faster than advancement in some regards But i'm curious if you saw that Especially given that you were moving into that role at a time when platforms like facebook were maturing um, and ad spend was really starting to accelerate. I mean what was that like yeah. and did you see that trend um, firsthand?
1: Yeah, uh, it, it, all of those parallels are really interesting because at the time we were just realizing that parents <laughs> were not they were an audience that we should be paying attention to. Um, and we started to kind of build out our personas beyond just that typical you know pipeline student that had been coming through the door for us. Um,
0: or buy the list from the
1: yeah, higher ed, or, like, yeah. we're and we're still pretty stuck in the, like, in order to sustain, we need bigger classes, and tuition's got to go up, because that's how you're going to pay the bills, and at RIT, a very tuition-driven institution, pretty young, um, in terms of college life, they only started giving out bachelor's degrees at RAT in the 50s, so their alumni base is, like, pretty small and new. Um, and it was really just like a technical you know, certificate program um, school before then. So it, uh, it was an interesting time to be at RIT, also just an interesting time in higher ed and enrollment. Um, this is when um, there certainly weren't jobs for people in social media, there weren't even jobs for people in marketing in higher ed. Um, so at that time enrollment, um, the marketing was out of enrollment because that's where that's where all the focus was at RIT. At a tuition-driven institution, all the focus is on enrollment. So when you're in a big all staff meeting with the president, you know, 80% of what the president's talking about is enrollment enrollment goals. Um, so it was cool to be there at that time. Um, I helped them build their social media strategy. You know All of the RIT social handles that exist, I built out. So that was pretty cool. Were there um, any
0: kind of early wins or tests? Because I'm sure most people at that time were either unaware that you were doing it or uninterested or didn't know why they should be interested. And so in a certain regard, you probably had a fair amount of autonomy to, you know, test things and try things. And, 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 and I'm curious if anything um, from that period stands out as having been kind of an early win or a signal that there really was something there.
1: Yeah. So I, um, I attended a ed web conference when I was a counselor on the road. And it was the first, it was a regional conference at Vassar. And it was the first time I heard someone talk about using YouTube and recruitment. And I thought, man, like, I can do that. <laughs> we, can, we can use YouTube for this now. Like that's a job someone has uh, at a little Vermont college. Yeah, I can do that too. Um, so I kind of doubled down on the YouTube thing and started grabbing these tour guides, which were still almost my peers at the time um, and said, Hey, do you want to do some social media for us? And I ended up convincing our director to have five of them start reporting to me as social media ambassadors. Um, and I started doing a lot of speaking because of that. Um, I kind of went on the Hyatt web road show and talked about my student ambassador program. Um, at the time I was, you know, having them build little episodes. Um, you can go back in the YouTube, you know, way back machine and look up five RIT students. That's what their little program was. Um, So that was a huge win. Um, Convincing administration that students can be ambassadors for us out online. Um, We already had we had had a blog program for a while Um, but uh, giving them the keys to our social platforms was uh, took a little convincing and what the line that I always (laughs) delivered over and over again was you let these people out on tour and just say things Like I know what I said out on tour. I made stuff up sometimes (laughs) and there's no oversight when they're out on tour. Like we trust them enough to let them go. Um, When they're on our social channels, we can see exactly what they're saying. We have the oversight. So let's let them do it. So
0: you were doing social takeovers before social takeovers were a thing.
1: I was a social takeover. OG. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I like that. Um, And so with all that being said, uh, you had an opportunity to, and you've done this better than anyone. I know you've, you, early in your career were unafraid to get on the circuit. And okay. all of a sudden, you know, you're know, you not an expert until you're an expert. And I'm sure you don't you know, go home at night thinking, well, I guess you're at home because you're working from home. But you know, yeah. you're not thinking, <laughs> uh, I'm an expert. But others yeah. think of you as an expert when you're willing to uh, get on the high ed web circuit or get on higher ed live and just tell these stories and give people a window into in, into your world. That's part of why we're you know, excited about the race podcast here, but um, but with all of that, you I think built a great personal brand and a, and a strong set of relationships. I know you got very involved with the case social media community, for example. In addition to Hyatt Web, in addition to uh, you know doing your day job really well. So, what was it like as you started getting on that that circuit and telling that story? And I don't know, do you have any advice for folks that are maybe? nervous about doing that or not sure if they really, you know, have much to add at this point. It's, it seems like it's come naturally to you, but maybe it hasn't. Yeah. Um,
1: you know, like I said, if you're, if you're a person in the an audience and you're looking at a speaker and you're thinking to yourself, I could do that, or I could say something, I have something to contribute, then you should absolutely like, you got to throw a proposal and you just got to do it. Um, if you get frustrated when you're at conferences, because, you you know you have more to say than what the q a allows you to like you're the person that should be submitting um so uh that was what drove me i saw that one presentation um from mallory wood who is still like a lifelong friend of mine now uh at hyatt Web years ago and i thought mallory's doing this like i can definitely do this too um and there's plenty to say there's plenty to be said so don't think that it's all been done
0: (laughs) and was it Getting out on that circuit that ultimately resulted in the opportunity at at Cornell?
1: Maybe. Um, I was pretty frustrated at the time because we were going through um, a big tech implementation. If anyone has, you know, we were migrating from an old database to PeopleSoft. And just like the nature of what happens at an institution when something like that goes down it's just painful it's painful for everyone um and so i was getting pulled from doing my social media work to do like manually input stuff um because it was all hands on deck and i started to look for jobs <laughs> um and this post came up at cornell and i thought i don't think i don't think I'll. I don't think I'll be able to do Ithaca long term. I kind of want to go back to the Albany area. I want to go back to Saratoga, but you know, I could learn this advancement side of the business, and it'll be a stepping stone for me when I want to go somewhere more central in communications. Um, and so, why not? I'll apply. Uh, I thought it was kind of crazy to have built. A social media like build everything at RIT to then go and be the third person on a social media team in advancement which I knew nothing about and you had asked me early on the podcast when was the first time I heard advancement probably like three months into working at Cornell When I'm like, oh advancements alumni oh okay I get it like I had no idea <laughs> what that world was at all um but i was curious to learn i thought i tell people all the time that i thought i was going to the dark side like here i am opening the doors of education to children around the world and now i'm going to go ask people for money um, so you can
0: open doors to education for children around the world
1: yeah yeah no it i it came full circle when i i attended the um uh, summer institute up at in dartmouth yes uh, for Educational fundraising and so much clicked for me there. I thought for a moment I would leave being a major gift officer. <laughs> so we um,
0: just interviewed Jim Husson uh, on, so cool. on a previous episode. Was yeah. Jim involved with your?
1: Yeah, Jim university? was there. Um, Martin Shell was my mentor for the week. Yeah. Like, it was, it was a lot. It was cool. Um, and I and a lot of it wasn't for um, it, a role like mine. It wasn't built to teach a social media strategist advancement. Um, it's really meant for frontline fundraisers to learn about advancement. And so I was sitting there just making the connection. Um, and so much of it came back to storytelling, which was my comfort zone.
0: Absolutely. And so, uh, that was seven plus years ago or probably right around seven,
1: around seven years ago. Yeah.
0: And the intention was to, Join that team, which would then tee you up for yeah. getting into central communications someday. And here we are, seven years later, with right. one of the most well-respected digital teams in the advancement space. And uh, you obviously have a, a great mentor and leader in, in yeah. Andrew Gosen, And you've had some fun colleagues you've been able to collaborate with along the way. Um, you know, what are the, some of the highlights on that journey? And are you surprised, you know, seven years later that uh, that um, that you're still within the AAD? Yeah. No.
1: Well, I have to give lots of thanks to Michael Stoner because um, he was the one who told me um, if you're going to go and learn the advancement world, you better go and learn it from Andrew. Um, so thank you, Michael. Good that's advice. Uh, Michael, great advice.
0: Well, I met on this journey and I think he told me to meet Andrew as well. So yeah, right? yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's a tried and true method. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. So that was good advice. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't stay in Ithaca for very long. Um, I was there for about eight months and knew I needed to go home. Um, They, and I asked Andrea, I said, "Um, I'm going to move to Saratoga. I'm not going to move to Ithaca. I hadn't even really, I had an apartment in Rochester still. And I said, I'm going to move to Saratoga and I need to know whether I need to look for another job. (laughs) Um, And Cornell. That's one
0: way to surface a remote work policy.
1: Yeah, and we, we start so we started I think with a 3 month contract, uh, flex contract and then that got moved to 6 months and now I think it's reviewed every year. But um but it it works for yeah, it works for us. Um and I I wasn't sure it was going to work for me. I didn't think I'd ever get promoted the way I have um and now managing a team remotely these are all things i could have never seen um I i didn't see staying in advancement at first but now i can't see myself in a central communications role um so certainly found i i think i've found my phone my home here in in fundraising and where that overlaps with communication um there's so much to do to bring communication staff up to speed with what they need to know in advancement. And that's really where I'm trying to focus now.
0: And, you know, I think we advancement relative to enrollment is, is different in that the enrollment prospect pool or lead pool, if you will, could be any high schooler in the world that matches, you know, generally the criteria that it might make sense for one to apply yeah. to Cornell, yeah. whereas the alumni prospect pool is defined. It's how many constituents? 300,000 or something in there. Give, give or
1: take 20,000.
0: <laughs> so uh, so I, I feel like historically that's why the giving pyramid has been so important uh, in the advancement realm. And it's, and it's why uh, campaigns have been successful because there's a known prospect pool. We have to rank those people from one to 300,000 as best we can using uh, data and anecdotes to come up with things like giving capacity. And, and then we sort of have to go top down to achieve our campaign objectives. And at the same time, um, given that you can only cover such a small percentage of the community with actual frontline fundraisers, let's call it, you know, one to 3% of the population at most ever true customers are assigned to gift officers. It means that of the population has to be engaged in other ways besides one-to-one outreach. And I think that that is where we're seeing so much potential for the idea of taking an enrollment funnel-like mentality, leveraging digital, leveraging the ability to scale a tour guide experience where you can talk to 10 people in person in the quad Right. Or hundreds or thousands of people digitally online and applying that same evolution to the advancement sector so that we can still reach that 97% in a more authentic way in Mm -hmm. a more scalable way than just having alumni chapter events over and over and over and reunions every five years. And so, you know, you all have been so focused on scaling that community building to maybe not all 97% of the constituency that can't be managed by gift officers, but doing it in a way that then um, adds value to the lives of alumni, builds engagement, which then can support better outreach for annual giving or better intelligence for the research team or better, you know, referrals to the major gift team. And so there's a lot there, but I'm just curious to get your perspective on how you can both, have a giving pyramid and a giving funnel at the same time and how that evolution uh, is, is advancing at Cornell.
1: Yeah, I think you, you hit on a couple of things that um, resonate with me, the way, the way I think about this. Uh, and it does go back to how I pulled those tour guides off of their route and put them online. Um, we knew that that tour guide interaction was the number one reason why students converted the high they converted at the highest rate if they had that true a good career guide interaction and so like how do we scale that like that's our secret sauce it seems so let's put it online and try to scale that and i continue to try to do that but now it's my like best principal gift officer and what do i what do i know about what they do that we can translate online um and it clicked for me at dartmouth um martin shell said to our room Um, If it's not personal, it's not philanthropy. It's just a transaction. And I thought, you know, digital giving transaction. Yeah, you're totally right. Our online experience is so transactional. That's not philanthropy. How do we start layering in that personal connection? And so we, you know, got into a big digital strategy conversation at Cornell. We talk about personalization so much in online giving online retail, online, every everything's personalization right now. And what our web design team that we worked with really helped us um, ground our thinking in is personalization is great. It's a tool, but there are so many more things that you can do to make your online content personal, like sound more human. Um, and the team we worked with was Mule Design, Erica Hall um, led a lot of this, um, these discussions for us. um, And she is the author of a new book, Conversational Design. So I'll give a plug to Erica, but that's really the thinking. It's, um, you want your interactions to sound like a conversation that you're having with a human if you want to make it more personal, make it seem like you're closer to a person. Um, So Uh, that's an exciting way to think about our websites. Um, you mentioned before that we're trying to get people closer to people with text messaging. Mm -hmm. Um, you and I both know that we ignore those phone calls. (laughs) So, um, Which phone calls? Uh, all phone calls. Which ones do you pick up, really? I think I pick them up for uh, my husband and my mom.
0: But you're alluding uh, to maybe the phone-a-thon not being the future of one-to-one outreach. Uh, in- I mean,
1: if it's you have to like you got to rank pretty high on my list of people in this world for me to pick up the phone. Right, I would pick up the phone for you. Thank but, you. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, know, you know, like, so how do we get people closer to a person? Let's let's see wh- how we can scale. The text messaging and what I,
0: yeah so what i'm excited about right now is that it feels like we're at this moment where we you know it, it really was one-to-one major gift outreach mm-hmm. maybe there was a volunteer network to help scale one-to-one interactions around reunion fundraising or certain engagement activities mm-hmm. and then everyone else we have been basically trying to capture with with Historically, the alumni magazine or direct mail and now with online content and so forth. But I think what we're seeing is an opportunity to um, Not just say like you're either in a gift officer portfolio or we're engaged. We're going to engage you digitally, but you're not going to get a human to engage with you unless you're in a portfolio Or somehow on an advisory board and and whatnot. And, And we're seeing this opportunity to basically say, how might we leverage technology and digital strategies to not only do sort of better personalized digital marketing but actual better one-to-one human engagement at scale to complement that digital marketing so that we can look at going from the top one to three percent of folks that are assigned to gift officer portfolios and maybe scale one-to-one outreach to the next five to ten percent without having to hire a hundred more people to do that because we're able to leverage things like text and and so that is probably a good segue to uh, my favorite part of the week which was learning about your efforts to try to engage your recent graduates not by calling them and asking them for money on a phone immediately after graduation but instead treating them like we'd want to be treated like anybody would wanna be treated, which is how are you doing? Yeah, How can we help? So would yeah. you tell a little bit about that, which was the catalyst for the LinkedIn post that I referenced earlier this week and we will link to the
1: show notes. Yeah, we so annual giving programs and the digital team uh, that I'm on came together over the summer uh, to do work planning together, which should happen more often advancement teams need to sit down with communications folks and plan their years. Uh, and so this kind of a collaboration can happen. We, um, we looked at a, a lot of different, um, audiences that we could focus on and, um, paths that we could set up journey mapping, all of that good communication stuff. Um, and we, we settled on this undergrad 19 campaign, um, because it was a place we could really focus and a, you know, a class that we wanted really just wanted to start them off on the right foot. So, um,
0: you're not going to step on anybody else's toes when you're dealing with the class of 2019.
1: Yeah. You know, they, they're starting with essentially no knowledge of what we do. Um, they haven't seen anything before. So it's like a fresh slate. slate, Um, We can, we can like refine things that we've been doing for a while. Uh, we can try some new things with the class. So, um, yeah, so the first communication was um, via text. Um, we waited till you know, the first um, month or so of classes and things were uh, settled down on campus to get our students involved. Um, and How did
0: so, you, you get the phone numbers for the class of 19, by the way? Is there a trick to that? or
1: um, We just get them. Um, I don't so know. In,
0: in the transfer of yeah. data from, you know, student to alum.
1: Right, right. You're, so you're we have a couple times have, a year our database gets refreshed with recent graduates. So, so. so
0: basically somebody over in the student affairs world yeah. has done a good job getting mobile numbers so that you've got a good base to start with. Yep. If you're listening to this and your student affairs or whomever the respective colleagues are, aren't getting mobile numbers from your current students transferred over over to you yeah you probably still have time to do it for the class of 2020 so maybe something to make sure is happening
1: yeah I don't think I you know I think it's easier than it was probably when I was in college and the number assigned to me was my dorm room number and there was a landline in there but now I think you come to college with a phone number and it's your mobile number and That's what's in your record. So the mobile numbers for the incoming classes are really great. You know, the new alumni are, it's strong. So you
0: knew that. So there wasn't a data (laughs) issue. You knew you had the data. And then the the idea was basically uh, to introduce Cornell Alumni Affairs and Development in a way that leads with value to this new, our newest constituency. Right. We're going to take a different approach. We're not going to call them and ask them for money via auto-dialing at night.
1: Yeah. Yeah, In that planning meeting, we had decided that the first solicitation this group would get if they were, if they hadn't given as a student, uh, wouldn't be until our giving day. Uh, and our giving day is really designed for young alumni. It's yep. it, it's an event for them. And that's in March. So um, we Let's knew- to be
0: relevant had- and, and build a relationship in a one-to-one yeah. manner in advance of giving day.
1: Right, right. So, so what'd, you think? what'd you do? Yeah, so we, um, you know, essentially, I'm going to paraphrase here, but essentially said, "Hello, we're we're here in the alumni office, and we want to congratulate you for graduating and being an alum now, and want to see how it's going. How are you settling in? Uh, do you need anything from us? How can we help? That I mean, that's longer. We were a bit more concise in our first text out, but that's essentially what it was. And we had. Um, we ended up splitting the, the class um, audience in two, and staff did some outreach, and then students in our phoning room did the other outreach. And so we could compare a little bit of how responses were to staff members um, versus students. Um, and it was, I mean, lots of good feedback. Um, response rate all around was higher than we expected. Um, students did get a higher response rate than staff did. Um, but the people who engaged with the staff seemed to engage even, even more. Um,
0: so when you say anything we can do to help.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What some of
0: the responses you got.
1: So the number one thing that they were looking for was, um, events in their area. So they had just, maybe they just moved. How can I get connected with events or their clubs or things nearby networking? Um, the, but
0: obviously they could go and Google and find your new website and find the link and the list of events but people are busy yeah and it's one thing to be able to do that it's another thing to actually go and do it and so what a neat way to frankly bridge to all of this work you had already done as it related to web design that for better or for worse they could just you know they weren't necessarily proactively googling to say hey i moved to chicago what is cornell doing in chicago but when they say when they ask you what is cornell doing in chicago and you can respond with a web link to this new yeah. platform, and what, what a great combination.
1: Right, and not only did we respond with where the events were, but we said, hey, you really need to update your contact information if you want to get updates on events. Absolutely. If you want to know what's going on near you, give us your address, and oh. we'll make sure you're getting the relevant events. Um, so that was a great connection point. Um, the second thing that they were looking for were career resources, and so we had an advance of the text message um, done some work on our um on our services landing page to um highlight some of the opportunities for students in their first year out um and actually we have a, a specific career service offering for the first five years out so we wanted to really highlight that um yeah so they were looking for those kinds of things um you know some people had uh, we got a lot of feedback that uh they were still at Cornell or still they were there in a graduate program and so didn't quite feel like an alumnus yet, didn't need us right now. Uh, so that was interesting. There's no place in our CRM to note that, but <laughs> um, not yet anyway. Um, but yes, yeah, so we were getting good feedback that, um, you know, thanks for checking in, but I'm doing the school stuff. Um, and then other people wanted really specific help. Like we had some people wanting to be connected to someone who was in their major. And, you know, so we had probably a dozen of those kinds of requests that came in, too. But, um, but overall, um, staff love this kind of outreach. The students loved this kind of outreach. Um, this, we did uh, monitor sentiment uh, for, for being texted. Um, we were trying to gauge whether the person felt good about getting a text, um, and that was really positive in, in this campaign. Um, For me,
0: this is just one of those things that is, uh, and I say this with all due respect and as much humility as I can muster, it just seems so obvious that (laughs) this is the way young alumni would want to be treated, yet per the hundreds of interactions we received on our LinkedIn exchange about this topic this week, it is not what's happening out there.
1: I can tell you why it's not happening. Why is it not happening? It's not happening because the first people to get a budget to send text messages is probably going to be your annual giving team. And your, if your annual giving team is separate from your alumni relations team, they don't have access to the text message to send. And is annual giving stepping on annual, alumni relations toes? by sending this text message. So it has to be a partnership and those silos are just strong. And a lot of it's tied to the budget. Like I have budget to put texting together. So I'm gonna come up with a texting program and it's gonna start with solicitations because I don't do that other thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're seeing a lot of the phone vendors say, hey, we're gonna add text messaging in. So then it becomes another basically automated high volume solicitation channel, right. which, uh, will get tuned out like there might be a period where you know there's a short-term spike because you know there is better attention and you're not competing with with uh with spam in an inbox but then you become spam in the sms um you know messaging systems that everybody you know are, are embracing and so i think it's encouraging to see your work i've been texted one time ever from brown and it was on a, I think a giving day or something, you know, asking for money is like one time in my life. And, and you, that being said, we're collaborating with Andy Chanlin over there right now um, and others, Steve Hall at Boston University around this idea that you, know, you were basically able to take a new technology texting and then take a alumni centric approach to engage a specific constituency upon graduation which is a really neat kind of one-off tactic, but like, how do you scale that into a new kind of programming for recent graduates? And we've been talking about this idea of, uh, you know, in the for-profit world, there's, there's sales, right, there's marketing, right? Marketing, build awareness, sales, close the sale, and then there's customer success, which is this idea of how do we sort of build an ongoing relationship to ensure that whatever product or service we sold Uh, we don't stop at the sale because it's all about lifetime loyalty. And the same thing applies to the alumni space. And so we've been talking about this idea of like, well, if there's customer success has been such a rapidly growing category in the for-profit world, what might an alumni success manager look like? And and what might it look like? You know, probably we can't scale that kind of engagement to 350,000 people or 300,000 people um, at Cornell, but what if we did it really well for the first year that you graduated. right? And our objective is to surround you with support, help make sure you're connected to events, obviously making sure that your contact information is pristine. If you have first five year career programming, make sure that you're plugged into it. Instead of just creating web platforms and hoping people Google it and end up there and self-select in, how can we marry that with pushing those insights to our constituents in a way that adds legitimate value, hopefully helps them build some authentic relationships in their new cities uh, or at their new companies, but then makes it so easy to consider giving on giving day. And so I'm curious if you've thought about, okay, neat one-off tactic, but what would this look like on an ongoing basis? And what the concept of alumni success management. I mean, how does that strike you? I did not yeah. you up for this. I'm kind of asking on the fly. No, uh,
1: we've got a plan. We've got a plan. Um, so yeah, it wasn't just the first text message. Um, there's a plan for this class, and I think this is it, it is an easy one to step into. Um, even if you just you know plan something quarterly, um, the, I think the next logical group to step into is the reunion cycle if your campus has something like that. Um, treating that as the kind of the next phase of re-engagement. Right. Um, so with this group, so last month was the outreach text. Um, this month, they're getting another fun freebie. Um, we're going to text some mobile backgrounds, custom Cornell mobile backgrounds yeah. to the class right uh Monday, um, on Monday, yeah, um, right before Thanksgiving, just as a little like, hey, thanks, we've got some sweet pictures of Cornell. They fit on your phone. Do you, you know, do you want to be reminded of Cornell every time you unlock your phone? Of course you do. Um, so we're going to send those on Monday. Um, for, and, and my colleagues can holler uh, if I get these audiences wrong. Uh, but uh, not on Giving Tuesday, but um, the Monday before, uh, I believe there will be a solicitation to uh, pass donors. So if you donated as a student, um, And we've got uh, crowdfunding campaigns that are going on right now. So this is going to be a very like cause driven Mm -hmm. kind of ask. Um, And the audience is kind of slightly different, I believe for that one. Um, Last year we did some more engagement stuff early in the year, but we've got this kind of regular cadence of like once a month with something Um, and certainly more giving than asking. Um, Last year we reminded them about a live stream that we were doing about the um, trustee election that takes place in February, Um, just kind of little nudges and this is how how you can stay connected. This is what alumni do. Um, We hope you're going to be involved.
0: So staying relevant, staying top of mind, leading with value, uh, and making a solicitation a part of the engagement cadence, but not the singular focus. Mm -hmm. And I think what's going to be interesting is that, by treating people the way I think we all want to be treated, especially as recent graduates, how will this cohort perform as donors Mm -hmm. in coming years, right? Like, will there be a a bump in young alumni participation because you've led with value? Or maybe we might find out, no, it actually doesn't work. I I don't think that'll be the case. Um, But then I think, you know, over the next 10, 20, 50 years, will there be just a different perspective and relationship that will continue to, to pay off? And, you know, you and I probably won't be around to (laughs) to see all of that um, uh, play out, but, but I'm curious if you have any like positive early indicators or if you have experiments or, or I guess experiments, but uh, analysis planned to be able to measure some of the philanthropic outcomes for this class based on, a more personalized engagement cadence.
1: Yeah, I think you're right that we won't really know, um, but we, you know, we have been able to harness the the right insights for each of these campaigns and kind of watch how people are engaging uh, and which part of our audience is engaging. Um, the test that we ran last year. Um, weren't as telling as I hoped they would be. We did have a different A/B audience test where we warmed up about um, 10,000 people before giving day with these kind of engagement texts. Mm. And then we cold texted another 10,000 on giving day and they performed almost exactly the same. So, you know, I think we've got a lot more to, we need, we need a lot more data to look at before we know what's happening for, for real. But anecdotally, anecdotally, it's all good. Like people are, staff are really enjoying this program. Um, And we get, this isn't something that we don't have anyone who, in their job description is to manage a text messaging program that just, or to volunteer to send texts. That's not a role we have. And so we, um, we go out to the entire division and say we're going to be texting the class of 2019 on Monday who's free to help and we've got executive from executive directors who will come in and send a text message with their full name by the way hi this is this is Joe Lyons from the MLA Affairs office like I'm texting you I mean,
0: what a great example for leadership to set right it, it's yeah. terrific that Joe would do that yeah. and I think I'm sure others see that he's doing that and and you know, it makes it less of a gimmick and more of a, a, a new strategy that there's buy-in around. And, yeah. and we might find out that, look, it, it, it's not just, you know, warming 10,000 folks for a, a few months in advance. It's going to take, you know, maybe it's going to take a year or two or three for this yeah. to pay off. Uh, but it's great that you've got the data in place to right. monitor it. And so even if you find out, hey, this actually performed similarly, these two groups performed similarly, um, that alone is is a valuable insight that you can then, you know, use to, to inform your work going forward. Um, I want to be sensitive uh, to time here. Uh, didn't know that we would have this kind of relevant, timely SMS exchange, but there was so much interest in it that I, that I thought it'd be worth diving into. Yeah. Um, and so we'll continue to track that with you. I, I, I am curious to know, you know, stepping out of that very tactical example when you think about um, the big advances that the sector can make, what are the what is going to be required to really leapfrog the status quo from, from your vantage point, whether it's people, strategy, technology, what are the friction points that you're feeling as you try to create kind of this really connected digital ecosystem that aligns with the human-to-human outreach that is still going to be what contributes to the hundreds of millions of dollars that Cornell raises every year.
1: Yeah, uh, it's there's a lot that goes into it and you have to work on all of it at the same time. Um, we started working on our di- our digital strategy plan back in 2014. And when, initially what we learned was a lot of our digital transformation was gonna be around culture and or like organizational structure. We had to spend a lot of our time rethinking how we were going to work together to pull some of the stuff off. Uh, and so we've been forming different working groups to work together. Um, the other piece of it was redesigning the website and we really had to burn the house down <laughs> and build a new set of houses with the right tech stack there. Um, so that came next. Um, and now we're continuing to continuing to work on that, um, the org structure part, but also the tech, the technology. So it's, it's hand in hand. It's not just your front facing websites either. It's all, it's all this, all the good stuff on the back end that <laughs> uh, needs to be brought up to speed. Um, so, um, yeah, I think where, where are these, uh, where are these campaigns that are exciting, like the undergrad, cam- the under, uh, class of twenty nineteen campaign. Um, the reason that's possible is because our annual giving team came together with our communications team. Um, mm-hmm. And we're crossing over between alumni affairs and fundraising to make decisions together. Um, and, you know, you've seen the change that um, has happened in some of these advancement shops like Yukon, where you, you put people together. Um, Emory just uh, decided to put some people together um, to make this happen. And uh, Cornell is going to be, you know, moving in a similar direction to get people closer together. Um, And, yeah, and, and, you know, I think the obvious part to me is that the 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 life cycle stuff looks so similar, uh, engagement and fundraising. And engagement is really your cultivation, you know, and it's your retention. And if you've got competing engagement uh cultivation and stewardship efforts um with your alumni engagement and retention efforts like you're just doing extra work um there's a lot of inefficiencies there so um we're seeing a whole lot of stuff makes sense when you can make those worlds collide
0: no absolutely and and i think that um we are tracking. You know, we work closely with UConn and Emory and it's been really interesting to see um, that transformation occur. And I think we're at a point where uh, technology can always improve. We have a lot more that we need to do, but it's not the constraint anymore. You know, between the growth of digital platforms on, on social networks in general, platforms like YouTube, ways that we and others are integrating data with traditional systems like Advance, is isn't holding us back anymore. It is the org chart and the job description and the training. Yeah. And that is the piece where I think when we started the company 10 years ago, it was like, oh, technology is really what is holding back this sector. And to a certain degree it was, but now it is, it is all about the human aspect, which I think is going to be a lot trickier to fix than uh, building applications and API integrations and, and how do we build the human integrations across silos the same way we're trying to integrate data across silos
1: yeah and the tech challenge is still like you need to form these teams in a way that you can step into each of these tech problems that you're trying to solve and like you can't jump into personalization and you know create a whole ton of content without a huge team of content contributors so how do you step into personalization by just going through and rewriting your copy to make it sound more human? <laughs> you right. know, like, right. what are what are the little steps that we can take to that make a huge difference right. um, and are also bringing us those early wins to make the case to go farther? Um, because I think we still we still need the investment in technology. Um, we still need investments, investments in maintenance and optimization. I don't think we're everyone is quite there yet on uh, understanding what it takes to keep up this pace. Um, and yeah, and the staffing too, it's, um, it's a matter of a big mindset change. And once you're there in that mindset, it's um, thinking about ways of working differently, um, working more agilely and work, working across teams that you wouldn't have, you know, that you don't report through and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh there, there's just so much that you can do taking little steps into it, um, you know, just by sending one text message to start, Yeah, <laughs> uh, right. It's, you it's, know, to start that. Uh, how do you have a
0: big, exciting vision, but at the same yeah. time, not let that overwhelm you a, a, into being unable to just take that first step? Mm-hmm. Everybody listening today could make sure that the class of 2020 gets a thoughtful text message yeah. Six months after, or three months after graduation, asking how are you doing and can we help? Every institution can do that. Can every institution think about their five-year digital transformation plan and can every individual listening you know, move that Titanic? No, Yeah. but everybody can take that first step. And so um, you and your team have been, I think, very well supported by leadership and being able to experiment uh, you've got a seat at the table um, with with andrew and and others. Why don't you just tell me a little bit about your team? Um, you know you and Andrew are the face of the team, but I know that there's more uh, going on behind the scenes. Any folks you want to give shout outs to, and then also oh,
1: so are you
0: hiring and and why what kind of roles are going to be relevant, whether they're open positions today or roles you anticipate in the coming months and years that folks should yeah. keep an eye on, uh, and why is Cornell an exciting place to be? so,
1: yeah. Three questions. Uh, yeah. So many awesome people on my team. I can't name them all, but you have
0: to name some of them. It's I'm
1: going to. Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, Thomas Denouvel is our director of user experience and web services, and he is uh, constantly pushing us to think differently. Um, he's doing a lot of work uh, right now with augmented reality and VR. Uh, and what that means for advancement. Um, so
0: We'll do the first Oculus powered reunion experience. I have no doubt.
1: Oh, t- let's, we're talking about Oculus powered giving experience.
0: All right, um,
1: yeah, it's gonna be, so uh, Thomas, um, uh, I'm, we'll be pushing uh, him to be more visible in his work as, as it starts to roll out. Um, uh, so much of what's happening in our young alumni space is thanks to Kendra Saldana. Um, and her uh, her relentless <laughs> pushing to uh, make these campaigns happen. Um, she's has a great partnership with um, alumni affairs and the young alumni work that's being done there. And so, reasons she's the reason why these these text messages happen. Um, Angie Giammarino and annual giving programs also um, is bringing so much fun and personalization and personal feel to all of our communications going out of annual giving programs um she deserves all of the credit in the world for the the emails that people are screenshotting and sharing um so yeah and you know on my team um we're uh we're continuing to to think about how to how what used to be a social media strategy team like what that looks like in in 2020 and it means that our, our main social media manager uh, mike o'neill is also managing digital advertising and paid media um, it means that our our videographer
0: i love that the expression paid media is even being uttered at cornell advancement because
1: oh, oh yeah <laughs>
0: most very few teams have a paid media strategy. And if you're listening and you're thinking, what is paid media? Google it. You'll get a good answer really quickly. But this idea that we have spent, not St. Cornell, but we have spent collectively millions and millions of dollars producing right. alumni magazines and mailing them to people, right? That's print media. Yeah. What is paid digital media for advancement? Really quickly, would you be willing to share, like, why is that expression being uttered at Cornell and what does it mean?
1: Yeah, I think. Um I like to think that we're just trying to make it more convenient for people to find our stuff. Um, we invested in Google ads last year, uh, on giving day for the first time. And sure. If you Google Cornell giving day, you're going to get it as the top search. So why would you pay to have those keywords? Well, because you want to make it super easy for people (laughs) and like give them the confidence that, yeah, this is the link. This is where I need to be and customize it for that day. Um, and we, you know, we also spent on Cornell University and we spent on Cornell and we spent on just Giving Day and we saw over $60,000 worth of gifts come in from our Google ads just to make it easier for people and to you find. Mind
0: asking how much you spent on those Google ads?
1: Um, less than 600 bucks.
0: Yeah. So that's an no okay ROI.
1: Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was fine. Yeah, we'll do it again. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I can give another example of for Giving Day. We, we spent probably less than $500 on Twitter ads, which I probably wouldn't do again to the ROI was fine, but I probably wouldn't do again, except it was the first year that we were ever trending nationally on giving day. So first time we spend on Twitter, first time trending nationally, coincidence. Um, So I'll spend $500 to trend nationally any day. Um, And then I- I'm sure your colleagues
0: over in enrollment didn't mind that.
1: Yeah, no, we, you know, we, uh, we continue to use Facebook advertising because you have to, because yeah. uh, you don't reach your audience unless you do. Um, so, um, we're continuing to invest there for messages and, or for just, you know, awareness raising around things that are happening. That's great. Uh, yeah. But you know, a great, it's a great, um, career stepping stone for someone who's sitting in a social media role right now too. Like if you're not doing paid media, go, you are going to be comfortable in that space. Go and find out everything that you can learn and bring it back. And it's
0: amazing, you know, where platforms like, like Facebook have such incredibly robust education
1: uh, offerings where they, they
0: obviously in their interest for people to understand paid media, digital marketing, targeting pixels, you name it, because they want you to spend money on Facebook. But it really, uh, in, a couple of hours, you can go from novice to yeah. knowing probably as much, if not more than anyone else in your advancement shop, if, if you're the typical advancement shop. So if you are listening to this and you're, you're you're not yet familiar with some of those terms, there's so much free content out there that will allow you to then suggest experiments that for $600 produce incredibly measure, measurable results and could create new career path opportunities the same way they have for Mike O'Neill.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Very cool. Well, uh, that is, so final question then is, are you hiring or will you be?
1: Oh, right. Yes. Um, I, all over the place, but um, I would love to have a really strong partner um, help us with volunteer programs and alumni affairs. Um, If you're passionate about alumni engagement through volunteerism, come what we're doing. Um, uh, On our team, um, probably in 2020, you'll see some job postings to come join the Dream Team at Cornell. Um, We're going to be looking for creative people um, to help with communication. We're going to be looking for people who have really strong project management skills. Um, And uh, it's It's an exciting place to work. I thought when I was coming from RIT to Cornell, that it would be pretty similar. Like it's Western New York, there's big engineering school, you know, same size student body on campus. But I once I got in there, it was like going from a mom and pop shop to going to work for Coca-Cola. Like the scale is incredible. Um, The support is incredible. Um, and you get to do things that really do change the way the industry thinks about where we're going. And and our whole team is really dedicated to sharing what it is we do because we know not everyone is resourced the way we are to try and experiment the way we do. So thank you for bringing me on the podcast and letting me
0: no, share. It's great. And, and I appreciate that perspective because it is hard in higher ed as a practitioner on the inside, as a vendor on the outside, when you're so excited about the possibilities of the future, but um, you know, you face inertia and we face inertia and all of the same constraints. Um, and so, to be at a large, incredibly prestigious institution that is willing to take risks and test things in a more agile manner. Uh, it's been a privilege to to be a part of that as a friend and, and vendor, and we learned so much from from having been able to spend time with you and your colleagues. I will share one final um, story that I don't think I've ever shared with you, but when I was trying to get EverTrue off the ground, uh, I really struggled to find a technical co-founder right out of the gates, and uh through lots of networking in Boston, I ended up meeting a guy named Eric Carlstrom who uh, was an RIT grad, who had been a part of a few different startups, computer science background, and we had some mutual connections. And so um, Eric and I started doing this sort of founder dating. You know, are we the right partners to get Evertrue off the ground? And we thought one way to test that for you know he didn't know very much about the advancement world, and I knew nothing about the software world. And and one way or another, we basically said, well, what if we went on a road trip to his alma mater, your alma mater, RIT? And this was before we had officially partnered up, but Eric and I basically went on a road trip. And before we got out of Massachusetts, we had our first speeding ticket. Uh, Ended up making our way to RIT, met with the folks in the RIT Alumni Association. We literally had PDF mock-ups of the first iteration of Evertrue Zero Real um, code to show. Uh, stayed with his college roommate uh, in, in their basement. Uh, and then on our way back through, I believe it was Andy Shanelin who had connected me to Andrew Gosen. And so we stopped in Ithaca, got our second speeding ticket on the way to Ithaca. And I was like, Eric, uh, he drove and he had a very, very heavy foot. Uh, and we had no money. I was like, we're literally going to be spending all of Evertrue's re- remaining funds. On speeding tickets uh, before we've even partnered up together but we met Andrew and I have no idea what I talked about at that point because we knew nothing about the space we had nothing to show but it's a it's an incredible coincidence and and um, we just have been so fortunate to get to know him and your broader team from literally time zero um, at Evertrue that was almost you know almost ten years ago next year now and I still feel like we have so far to go but um, but but it's just uh, a privilege to be on that journey uh, together. So I don't know. Had I shared that with you? Sorry for the long winded. Uh, probably had told you that at some point. But um, RIT Cornell time zero.
1: Yeah yeah, and I think I'll share one of my you know what I think about when I think about hanging out with Brent. Uh, it's oh, no. being at Brown and at an Ivy plus conference and saying, you know, I think we could get more done uh, if we just went and chatted and watched a soccer game right now uh, and uh, snuck away for a world cup game, talked about advancement. Uh, it you know, was a
0: hundred degrees
1: where the real work gets done.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and I appreciate you being willing to, to, to welcome us as a vendor into something like IV Plus, which I know is a, a trusted environment, and um, and we look forward to you know the months and years to come. There's a lot of work left to do, uh, and so without further ado, I will uh, thank you for participating, Ashley, and um, wish you the best as you continue to push the industry forward. Uh, and I know that we'll be collaborating on a bunch of things here in the coming months. So take care, thank you, and send my best to the team.
1: Thank you. I will.
0: All right. Take care. Bye. -bye.
1: Bye.